0: Our second lesson today is taken from the first letter of John, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 2. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed, and we have seen it and testify to it, and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, I had something shocking happen to me a few months ago. I got my auto insurance renewal. And... I hadn't had an accident, I hadn't gotten a ticket, but suddenly the rate was just a significant amount higher than it had been. And I call my agent and said, you know, what's up with that? I didn't get a new car, so my car is a year older, it's worth less than than it was a year ago, what's going on? And the agent said, well, we've re-rated your area. And I said, well, what can you, you know, what can i do about this and they said well we've got this program so they have this little doohickey and if you put it in your car it, it tracks your driving so it tracks um, how fast you accelerate how hard you brake, all, all these things it tracks it and then they said if you allow, if you put this thing in your car we give you a discount on your insurance and so i said sure great put this thing in my car and, um, and I drive with it and, and it gives you a discount. And there's an app on my phone and it gives you grades. So I just got my first set of grades. I took a screenshot, a little hard for you to read, but I took a screenshot of my app of my grades. So these are my grades. It's disconcerting. All right, so I got an A plus on time of day because I don't drive a lot at night. Like if you're driving at 2 a.m., you're probably gonna have more accidents. Now, speed, I got a B minus on speed. And I'm thinking, how can I get a B minus on speed? I'm the fastest car on the road. The one I really didn't get was left turns, C plus. I've never gotten a C. I, I, I don't understand this, a C plus on left turns. And I look at and I click on it, and it says, well, I'm making my left turns too sharply. It's very humbling, because driving is one of those things where everybody thinks they're above average, okay? Everybody thinks they're an above average driver. In fact, just before worship, I had a person come up to me and actually mention that in the parking lot, if you go outside, there are several spots that are unusable because cars have parked so close to the line or over the line that they're effectively taking up two spots, and these spots are unusable. And the person said, can you, can you make an announcement about that? I said, actually, it'll fit the sermon. <laughs> because quite frankly, I will bet you the people who parked right on the line think they're good parkers. They hit the line, exactly where they're aiming. They think they're good. But they actually blocked out the spots. Don't do that. I'm going out after worship and taking license plates. People do this all the time. One of my favorite stories is a story of a few years ago, a a survey done by the denomination of of Presbyterian preachers. And they asked them to rate themselves as preachers on a scale of one to five, five being best, one being worst. 80% rated themselves a four or a five. The rest were a three, and exactly, in the spirit of Christian humility, zero gave themselves a one or a two. I only complained that they didn't ask their congregants. (laughs) Would have been a much much more interesting survey. But you see, that's the way we go through life. We think we're better than we are, and that's what John is talking about. He says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves all the time. We think we're better than we are at lots of things, and we especially think we're better than we are when it comes to sin, we think we're better than we are when it comes to living the way God would have us live. Now, we don't like to say that we have no sin. I mean, nobody would do that because that would just sound like you're bragging. But, I, you know, I always I like Andy Stanley. I watch him all the time. I love his quote on this. I think I've mentioned it before. He says, you know, we don't like to say we're sinners. We like to say we're mistakers. We're, mis- you, know, we're, you, know, we're mis- you know, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I make a mistake once in a while, but I'm not, I'm not really a sinner, I'm just a, I'm a mistaker, All right? We like to do that. You see, we, we like to overestimate our righteousness and underestimate our sin. We do that all the time. It's just so common. We don't understand the extent to which our lives, our behaviors are tinged by sin, which is really the point. It's, it, it's not so much we tend to look at the at at really granular acts. You know, I did something wrong, as opposed to understanding sin as, as being a state of separation of, of of gap between our lives and what God would have us do and be. And that as we do those things, as we live in that gap, as we live. Less than the way God would have us live, we're living in a state of sin. We're falling short of what God would have us be and do. And that is our sin. Instead, we just like to think in terms of of the most awful things we did and, and say, well, there's only a handful of those. And then we like to play the game that our faith tells us is not accurate of of saying that being good makes up for it. Oh yeah, I did three good things and one bad thing, and, and so I'm am plus two, I'm pretty good, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a B plus or an A minus. We like to give ourselves that kind of ranking. So we overestimate that. And then as we overestimate that, when we start to say, well, on balance, I'm good. On balance, I'm good. What we end up doing is basically denying our need for Jesus. And John, so John in this letter does an interesting thing. So he first said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And then he goes on to change tense. He say, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And so now he switches from that present tense to that past tense. If we say we have not sinned, and and I'm not saying that we believe that we have never sinned, but we do tend to think that on balance, we're good. On balance, we're good enough that we don't really need a Savior. And if we think that we are on balance good enough, then you have to really ask the question, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did he die? Why the suffering, the death, the resurrection, What? Was the point. And that's what John is saying. We make him a liar because Jesus said, I came to save the people from their sins. And if we sit there and say, oh, yeah, well, maybe his or hers, but I don't really need it, then we make Jesus a liar who said he came to save us from our sin. So we need a savior or the coming of Jesus was meaningless. If we don't fundamentally admit that we need a Savior, then there was no actual point for Jesus to come. And worse would be to say, they need a Savior, but I don't. Now you've got hubris on top of bad theology. But we have to understand that we need a savior or else we've turned everything Jesus did into meaninglessness. Now, it isn't just about that. There are always these two aspects of, of Jesus coming of our faith. And one is this issue of us needing a savior and the other is how do we do better? How do we live differently differently? in response to the fact that we have a Savior in Jesus Christ. So there is both this ability that we have to to stand before God because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus uh, um, upon us, and then there is the gift within faith of becoming a little better, of responding to this gift by trying to live more in accord with what God would do. And so I ask a pretty simple question, which is, What grades would you get? What grades would you deserve in living the way Jesus told us to live? What are your grades? And the thing that really matters here is to break it down. You see, most people sit there and go, yeah, I'm basically a good person. I think pretty much everybody we meet sits there and says, yeah, well, I'm basically a good person. If that app had said to me, we think you're a B-plus driver. I would have been insulted because everybody thinks they're an A. But then I would have said, but why? How? What do I do to improve that grade? How do I move that up from a B-plus to an A-minus? You haven't told me anything. All right? by giving me that list of things that it broke down and sit there and say, oh, okay, here, here's what it is. We don't, you know, you're down here because we don't like the way you make left turns. I can, I can fix that. And then there's also human rebellion, the B minus on speed. I'm probably not going to fix that. And that's the way we, we live our lives. There are certain things where we're more where, where we are more amenable to correction than, than in other areas. But what are your categories? Because by breaking your life down and thinking about it in different areas, you have a better ability to know how to improve. There are different ways I'm not giving you a, a perfect list of how to do this, but you could for example, take the list in Scripture of the Fruits of the Spirit and talk about joy and talk about patience that Felicia was talking about with the kids in the children's sermon. How are you doing on patience? What's your patience grade? What's, what's, your, what's your joy grade? What's your kindness grade? Okay? If you start to break your life down into those areas, you have an ability to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good on joy. You need to work on kindness. And then you can get your behavior up. We have our value statements. Live boldly, share boundlessly, grow community, build God's world. But we're really talking about these areas of life where we believe that your faith walk here can improve. That you can have more confidence to trust God. And when you trust God, you will live boldly. You'll be less driven by fear. you'll, You'll hand things over to God and live with courage. How are you doing on that? Share boundlessly about being more generous. And we and we don't just mean materially. We mean being generous materially, being generous with your time, which is such a valuable commodity for people, being just a, a generosity of spirit. You know, there are lots of different ways to use that word, generosity. How are you doing on that? Growing community, how are you doing on your relationships? How are you doing, not just on your closest friends, but how are you doing on, on creating deepening, building significant relationships with folks. How are you doing there? Building God's world. Making the world a better place. How are you doing on that? What have you done in the last week or month or year to help make the world a better place? See, as we start to break, our lives down and think about it in these more specific categories, we give ourselves an opportunity to evaluate ourselves and then do better. If we just sit back and say, yeah, well, I think I'm a pretty good person, it makes it really hard to identify how you could become a better person. You have to break your life down into those categories, however you want to do it. But Scripture gives us some pretty good guides in order to to do better. And then when we do it, we can be fearless about the way we look at ourselves because there's an assurance that that John gives us in this letter. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father. See, it's this assurance that he gives us that that even if we mess up, Jesus is not looking at this for the purpose of wanting to condemn us for messing up, but Jesus is looking at this for, for the purpose of advocating on our behalf, that Jesus is in our favor. See, there was a really important thing when my insurance agent was offering the gizmo. It was really important to get me to put it in my car. It was this promise No matter what it records, you will get a discount. They had the promise that no matter what it saw, it would not increase my insurance. But even if the thing were to report, you know, you look like you're aiming at cars. (laughs) It would not matter, I would still get a discount. That was a really important thing, to get me to do it. The assurance of forgiveness from God is supposed to give us the fearlessness to look at what we do where we fall short. When we understand that God is going to forgive and God advocates for us, then you can be fearless looking at it. All right? And I'll tell you, that little gizmo, the reason why it makes sense for the insurance company to give me that assurance, because that little thing, when it's sitting on my dash... Makes me think about how I'm driving. It makes me think about how I'm driving. I'll tell you, every time I make a left turn, (laughs) I am thinking about it because of that C+. It makes me think. And when it makes me think, it makes me better. If you think about how you're doing and be fearless about it, then it's serving its purpose. See, being honest about our sin is supposed to be a spur to correction. That little thing on, the, on my dash is not there for the insurance company to, to hike my rates. It is there to make me a better driver. And they know that if they make me a better driver, it's better for them. It's also better for the world. God knows that in offering forgiveness, it can, at its best, be a spur for us to do better. And when we do, when we use it as a spur to correction, when we use it to improve the way we live, it is better for us and it's better for everyone around us. It's better for the world. So how can you improve this week? How can you start to look at your life in these different categories, however you would put it, whether it's, it's living more boldly, working on your relationships, being more patient, being more kind? How can you take a look at that, be honest with yourself about it, and then use that to become better. When you do that, you're doing what God wants us to do. To fearlessly examine our lives and then use that examination to be better people. To draw closer to, the per- to being the person that God wants us to be to have a better relationship with God and a better relationship with our fellow humans. So think about how you might work on that this week and in all the weeks ahead. Amen.